This episode is brought to you in part by Thomas Nelson, publisher of I Want to Matter. Your life is too short and too precious to waste. Written and narrated by New York Times bestseller Kathy Lee Gifford. Available now everywhere you get audiobooks. Coming back to the States, I was 24, and it was like starting over. Because in the States, people see mission work in uh, sometimes, not, not everywhere, but in a lot of places. Mission work doesn't really count on your resume. Hey everybody, welcome to The Calling. My name is Richard Clark and I'm the online managing editor for Christianity Today. Today on the podcast, I'm talking to Trevin Wax. He is the Bible and Reference Publisher at Lifeway Christian Resources and the managing editor of The Gospel Project. He is also a writer, which we talk quite a bit about. Morgan, hey. Hey, Richard. Um, so Morgan is the co-host of Quick to Listen, which you should check out, but we're here today to t- just to talk about Trevin. Do you know Trevin? I think we've met in person once. I know he came by the office a couple of years ago. Okay. Yeah. So he's the author of a book called This Is Our Time, which is like a really good book about cultural changes and climate and stuff that sort of like we find ourselves in. We don't really know how to react to it. And one of the things that I really like about Trevin is that he is a calm writer and one that writes very artfully in a way that gets you invested in some... Uh, with emotions other than the sort of stock emotions that we deal with in terms of like outrage or sadness or whatever. Likely the way most people have interacted with Trevin before is with his blog that's hosted by the Gospel Coalition. Yeah, yeah. So he has a a really good blog called Kingdom People at the Gospel Coalition. You can go check that out. One thing that I've always found interesting when he talks about his personal life and his writing is his wife is actually Romanian Mm -hmm. and from Romania. And it's just interesting to see how his international marriage has kind of changed or made him more open to different things. I got to meet his wife. I got to eat dinner with him. It was fun. So I I was really happy with this interview because it actually got a lot of, uh, it got a lot from Trevin in terms of what makes him tick, what drives him, what sort of things um, he's thinking about what he's always been thinking about and what he's trying to do with his work. You know, speaking of Trevin and his writing, Mm -hmm. I know that we recently featured an excerpt from his book in our magazine. So people who want to read our magazine, um, I believe that was in either our July and August or June issue. And all of our magazine is stuff that's available only for subscribers. Yeah. Uh, So if you subscribe now, you can actually go online and read that excerpt. Otherwise, you're going to have to, you're going to get a paywall. And that's going to make it hard. If you go to orderct.com slash the calling, uh, you will get 10 award-winning print issues. You'll get tablet PDF versions of them, um, full web access, and all of our archives. Well, most of our archives. We've set up a special page for you that will also get you a discounted subscription plus a bonus download created especially for our podcast listeners. Um, so, yeah, check that out. Here is our interview with Trevin Wax. You have a, a room in the front of your house that is just so many books. It's yes. the book room. Is that what you call it? No, the kids the, the kids call it the library. But what do you call it? 
uh, the library. Okay, so it's, it's called it's the library. It's where we read. It, it's where most of the time there's a there's a picture on the happens. wall of who? Uh, G.K. Chesterton G. K. on Chester- one side and Augustine on the other. Yeah. yeah, I love that Augustine one. Isn't that a nice one? I love it. It's so good. I love Confessions. I it, think it's, it's a so masterpiece. great. Yeah, it feels like it was written by a smarter version of a modern day writer. Like. I don't yeah, know what that means, I, but it think, feels like no, it was written today in a in a way. You you, I think I think you mean he's so incisive a a a writer into plumbing the depths of his own soul, right? That it's just a human book, yeah. And the Christian who knows both sides of humanity, unredeemed and redeemed, mm-hmm. and the struggle against sin, yeah, just. Re- it, it just absolutely resonate with it yeah. because of that. And so it feels so contemporary because of just how timeless that, that struggle really is. Right. So we'll get to your calling in a minute, but I want to know like why you love books so much. Cause one of the things that I've noticed uh, in the short time that I was here is that our conversation revolved significantly around books more than most actually. Cause I talked to a lot of writers on this podcast I, are you saying I'm a nerd? And no. Is that what this is? No, <laughs> definitely not. Because I, I totally own that, if you are. In the it's, circles it, I run in, it's pretty lame not to like books. It's true, but like we were talking about specific things. We, okay. At, and at then you're like, I know a book about that. Yeah. And you ran and got it from the library. That's right. Well, because I, I want, I guess, I guess whenever you come across something that you found helpful mm-hmm. or know will be helpful yeah. to other people. Yeah. One way of loving your Christianity today editor friend <laughs> <laughs> is you want to share you want right. them to 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 be able to to benefit from that. You yeah. want to pass that that on. Yeah. And so but notice I didn't give you those two. That's but, true. So I wasn't loving you as much as Jesus I still need to write down the titles. Yeah. I'm but, gonna but I, but I, I just realized I've helpful, forgotten so. both titles. <laughs> So that's I'm gonna be like I'll just text you later and say what was the name of that. Yeah, I could. I just am anticipating the direct message on Twitter in like two weeks. (laughs) Hey, can you tell me what that exactly? Uh, But no, you do. You do. For me, when when I when we're talking about um, ideas or Mm -hmm. I guess I mean this is called the calling, right? I guess fulfilling our vocations in the the spheres of influence we've been given. Yeah. that's it's hard to do that. So when you find something that helps you do that, and mm-hmm. then you know, hey, I think that person will help, may help that that truth or that presentation of truth might help someone else fulfill their vocation. I don't know. It just seems selfish not to go grab the book and show it to you and want <laughs> but, you to. But you're not recommend like I recommend Netflix shows. Your face was great when I said that. <laughs> you had this face of like, oh. It depends on. Well, I'm watching one right now that's pretty brutal. So I guess it depends on the Netflix show. Okay. But. What are you watching? Well, um, I am. Pro- I'm probably this weekend going to write about thirteen reasons why. Oh uh, yes. My my best friend and next door neighbor growing up, uh-huh. um, twenty years ago this September committed suicide. Wow. When he was sixteen, we were both sixteen. Hmm. Um, and so <clears throat> I had I'd had several people ask me if I was going to view the show or watch the show, and honestly, for like a week, Karina and I. We're like, no. Did they ask it's because they personal. knew that or just? So, some did. And then others, okay. because I'm also a teaching pastor at my church. Okay. Um, their com- conversations had already risen because this is this is popular in, in yeah. school with some high schoolers and middle schoolers. And you got parents talking about it and wondering about it. And 
Um, and so I have I have this pastoral reason to consider yeah. watching this show, and then the 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 thought about potentially writing about it on the blog, and then mm-hmm. I I think my own personal experience with that just gives opens up a different angle Yeesh. to write about it. So. It's been it's been rough. That's that's why I, when you said Netflix shows, uh-huh. I was just you were like, oh Netflix. I didn't immediately think not of, my favorite thing right now. Right, I, I didn't immediately think of The Crown. Right, you know, like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That that was right. I would have thought of that several yeah. months ago, but this time it was it's a little harder. So. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's let's start with the first question, which I always ask people, which is, how would you define your calling? Uh, I am a writer. Okay. First and foremost. Mm-hmm. Um, as, uh, so I, I feel called to write. I, I haven't always, I, I, I've always considered my, ever since I was a kid, have considered myself as someone who loves to write. I don't think I really got clarity on that. That is a major part of my calling though, until the last couple of years. Mm. Um, even after I had got done with my, my education, you know, I had <clears throat> finished up long, long years of, of education. Yeah. Um, but also, in, you know, involved in different in leadership in different areas through Lifeway and through church and whatnot. The one thing that I feel like at this stage that has become clearer to me as sort of a non-negotiable, this is something I will always be doing is, is writing. And, and that's been clarifying for me to know that I can do a lot of things, but that that's one of the, but you need to write. I I need to write. I I feel like writing is people often say writing is thinking. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and I, I think that's true. Like, so you don't feel like you're thinking if you're not writing I, in I'm, a sense? I'm thinking when I'm reading, Okay. even when I engage with a book, I engage with a book differently if I write about it afterwards. Okay. Yeah. I, I something, so something in me is solidified yeah. when I write something down Yeah. and I, I don't have the time to write as much as I would. Um, I can't say that I love the process of writing. Right. I love what happens when I write. I love when, when. Um, I feel like something is crystallized in my mind because I've written, mm-hmm. and I love when other people tell me I've been wanting to say that, and I've not known how to express myself. Mm. Yeah, yeah. And writing that—that's like one of the most rewarding things I can get is—is is when someone says, I, "I that's what I was wanting to say," right? And I yeah. just didn't know how to say it. And yeah. then to think that I can come along and somehow give voice to someone else's thoughts. Mm-hmm. Or helps form someone else's thoughts to where they think greater and stronger on that. That that is is very rewarding for me. What was that moment where you got the clarity that that was what you wanted to do? <laughs> Interestingly enough, I wrote about it. So um, I it was actually at graduation at uh, for our our, our my, I was graduating with a couple of other members of my PhD cohort at Southeastern mm-hmm. Seminary, and. Um, Southeastern has this marketing thing going where they have I am going to and then they have a line and people will put either like the place they're going mm-hmm. or the vocation that they're going to do or whatever. And the very first thing that came to mind when they gave me that was not a location, mm. was not a particular thing. I immediately when they said, you know, here's a Sharpie, fill in this <laughs> big circle sign thing that says I am going to. Mm-hmm. And I I put I it was just it was like clicked. I was like, I'm going to write. I'm going to yeah. do that the rest of my life. Huh. And this after I had just finished a dissertation and would have been blessed to have not written for a long time. After yeah, that, no kidding. You know, yeah. It was just so, it was clear. It was like, oh, that that's what I'm going to do. Yeah. And even though I'm going to lead in other ways, the writing will be one of the indispensable a- aspects of that. Right. So, well, Before that, 
it, there was obviously some lead up to that. So you've been writing for a long time, I assume. When can you remember like the first thing you ever wrote? Yes, I was six. Okay, and I wrote a little story called "The Flower Family." Okay, it's it's amazing the, to me that you can remember this. Yes, I I don't I don't remember um, all of the details, but it's some like. It would be a charming kids book. If there's any editors out there that are looking to acquire like a charming little kids book called The Flower Family written by a six-year-old, Trevor Wax, I, I can, I can, I think I could figure it back out and put it up. But it was it's just a creative story. And yeah. I, and I did that through elementary. I, I wrote series, like episodic kind of things yeah. as a fourth grader, fifth grader. By the time I was in sixth and seventh grade, um, I was writing dramatic stuff. Mm-hmm. And then, um, like, Christian fiction. And then by the time I was, like, 12, 13, 14. Wait, you were writing Christian fiction at, like, 11? Yes. I would write. You had a category for Christian fiction? I wouldn't say. And now I would say that's what it would fit. I wouldn't have said that then. Basically, was it, like, C.S. Lewis Christian fiction? Or was it, like, left behind Christian fiction? Some was that, too. So the, some was, of it had like a scene where someone accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Yes, some of them did. <laughs> That's so good. Some of them did. Yes. Uh-huh. Um, and looking back at, I have a few of them. I, I have a few of them still. And I look back at them. And I mean, my son likes them. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, son, the character development's awful on these, but somehow he thinks they're cool. But um, and then by the time I was like 12 and 13 and 14, I was writing radio shows. So I wound up like my next door neighbor growing up, one we already mentioned, mm-hmm. and I did, I mean, hundreds of episodes of radio shows, sitcoms, yeah. where we borrowed the laugh tracks from television. Yeah. And we actually did comedy radio shows. Like different uh, ones, different characters, scripted them out. Like on cassette? On cassettes, yeah. yes. And then we had a little radio broadcaster in our neighborhood could hear them. Do you have copies of that? I have all of the Trevin and John shows. So yes. Kind of want to put that on the podcast. <laughs> they're they're hard to they're different now. Okay. Yeah. That because makes sense. of because of John's suicide. So they're 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 tainted. Yeah. It's like but I listen to dark. them and I hear the innocence of childhood and it's it they're funny and they're just ridiculous and some of them are just just crazy. Yeah. But they're all tainted. There's ah. a pall over them that's that's hard for me to enjoy them the way I would enjoy them now if I were with him. Did you, did you write about, did you write about those experiences at that time? Like which ones? The, did you write about your friend's death? And I did, I wrote about that. Um, and I, I also wrote about, um, I I kept a journal when I was in Romania. Yeah. Um, just kind of like writing down what was going on each Mm -hmm. day and what I was learning and seeing and all of that. For me, that journaling during that, during the Romania trip was processing, um, I, I didn't really write a lot about, about John right away. Mm-hmm. I was kind of, I was trying to do some songs, writing some songs at the same time. Huh. I started, I, I played piano and I was starting to pick up the guitar. Okay. So I was kind of like doing the whole, uh, this is what the teenager does that wants to right. <laughs> pretend he's a singer songwriter, Yeah. you know, and kind of put, so, and I, and I did a, a song about it, but it was, yeah, the, the similar to now, like writing's part of how you process and yeah how you think through things and right I've, I've written a little more about it since i've written a couple of times on the blog about it okay um and i'm about to get ready and hit that subject again okay with this netflix show that yeah that's right so um w- was there ever a time once you 
had that moment of clarity and you were like, yes, this is what I want to do. Uh, then you started doing it professionally. Um, was there, was there ever a time where you doubted that that was something you were supposed to do? Well, when you say do it professionally, very few writers are like full-time writers, right? Right. So one of the, one of the challenges that you, one of the challenges, and I wouldn't say this is specific to writers. This is, this is true of a lot of people who feel like they have a calling. Your calling may not line up completely with what your full-time job is. Right. Yeah. Right. So, so with, with. And especially, I mean, unless you are in the Christian world, Randy Alcorn, mm -hmm. or in the non-Christian world, like a John Grisham, you're probably not going, don't quit your day job. Right. <laughs> you want to be yeah. a writer, right? Like yeah. almost everybody these days has multiple, has multiple things that they're involved in. Yeah. And so I have to look at my, my work as a Bible publisher, mm -hmm. as a, you know, um, as a curriculum editor, as a, you know, I'm working in all these different fields. Yeah. I have to, I, I consider all of that as a like big picture part of my calling mm -hmm. and then know that writing is, is going to be a central way that I accomplish those, those, those different responsibilities that right. God's given me right now. Who's the person that you like look to on a personal level for inspiration for, for what you do? It's hard to narrow that down to one person. Okay. From the, from the standpoint of being able to write in a way that seeks to persuade mm -hmm. and also refuses to to buy into false dichotomies. Mm. I don't think anyone today to read in that way is better than Tim Keller. Of mm. um, his analogies, the way he uh, takes Christian truth and is able to uh, make it accessible, but also also contextualize it in such a way that the gospel is seen as the good news that it really is. Yeah, he he's one that I certainly would would count as a major influence and has been since he started writing but more so in in more recent years yeah um i've got to go with someone dead though too. okay chesterton for me wrote about i mean chesterton wrote about everything so i'm working through all of his 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 works which is i thought would take me a couple of years and it's going to take me a lifetime because the guy wrote more than should be legal or allowed in, uh -huh. <laughs> in one uh -huh. life right um and and I don't even and Chesterton is not one that I like. I even look to for theology. It's his way of seeing the world, of seeing, of actually seeing the world. Yeah, yeah. Well, actually seeing the tree, the house, the the uh, the the sheer joy of living huh. that comes out in his writing, and then the relentless common sense approach that makes you. It's almost like someone splashes cold water in your face. Hmm at the same time is making you laugh so that it doesn't it doesn't annoy you so yeah. much it kind yeah. of uh, that's that's how he that's how he operates and and the fact that he tried his hand at everything from detective works to novels to plays to um uh poetry um to apologetics um i mean c.s lewis said the everlasting man is the greatest apologetic in english um at the time huh. he said that before he wrote mere christianity i assume but it really is a, it it really is a a a very important book. Chesterton brings me life when mm -hmm. I read, when I read his work and the turns of phrases and the pithiness and the memorable statements. Yeah. So he he's a he's a model for me. Even his essays, which are in um I'm like I'm reading like he he wrote fifteen hundred something columns in the Daily hmm. in um the Illustrated, uh, uh London News, mm -hmm. the newspaper for. <laughs> 30 something years. And 
they're like the blog posts of a hundred years ago, uh-huh. yeah. <laughs> you know, cause yeah. they're just, it's whatever is going on in society. Like yeah. he's not writing about, he doesn't have like this plan. It's just like, Oh, so-and-so's talking about this. I'm right. going to talk about that. And they're not all like classic. You read some of them and it's like, that wasn't a great one. I was going to say, you do know? you think he looks back on the original ones and he's like, what was I thinking? Like we do now about our blogs. Yeah. Okay. So I, 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 this has actually encouraged me uh-huh. about blogging. Uh-huh. So stick with me for a second. Okay. So those of us that write a lot uh-huh. and we think, oh my gosh, is any of this actually worth yeah. <laughs> reading past its sell-by date? Like how how short is the sell-by date right. on what it is we're writing, either in books or in blogs, but blogs in particular. Sure. I had a professor once tell me that um, I shouldn't devote too much time blogging because it's like the toilet paper of the internet. It just keeps rolling and rolling. And I was like, no, that's Gee, Twitter. thank you. <laughs> this is before Twitter. <laughs> I was like, yeah, that's really um, encouraging. No, but um, he, but, but what I've, what I've seen is he was working out his thoughts mm-hmm. in those columns and then they take their more final and classic form in the classic books. Interesting. So I'm finding, like I would find, I, like sections that I know from Orthodoxy or from What's Wrong with the World or some of these other books that he wrote. Like I, I know those books from Heretics and some of these other books that he wrote. Mm-hmm. I read them in the books. I'm going back through and I'm reading his essays and I'll get like the 1.0 version. And it's not as pithy. It's not as memorable. It's not as it's not. You wouldn't read it and say, oh, that's classic. Yeah. But you see the insight and be like, oh, when he kind of stews on that for a little bit. Right. Two years from now, when he writes Orthodoxy, it's going to be this passage. It's it turns into this passage that is well known. Yeah. One of these quotes that's around the internet even now. Right. And you see like the initial. You see you see the seeds in the in the the blogs for the best. Mm-hmm. You know for the articles, the essays. So that's that's a challenging example to me because I have been thinking a lot these days about like writers who step out of their lane. It's not like a subject or a topic or like a thing that you're interested in. Like I'm interested in books and TV or whatever. But it's like the, it's like this idea that you're obsessed with and you start applying it to everything, which is what you're talking about with Chesterton. Right. And I think certainly like what you're doing as well with your writing to where you're you're sort of you have this grid that is relatively unique to you. And then you just map it over things. And you see the whole world through that. Right. And you it. it I, I think it's a really good way of of putting it. And I mean, I'm, I'm a publisher too, so I'm on both sides of the, mm. the publishing world. Mm-hmm. I, I'm both author and a publisher. And I, so I get the whole, I mean, the, all the conversations recently about platforms mm-hmm. and an author's brand and all, like I, I feel the pinch of that from both sides. Yeah. Like what is good and dangerous about, about those conversations and, yeah. um, and the narrow kind of, you know, find your niche, stay in your lane kind of thing. And I'm one who I, I didn't take that advice. I mean, my my third book with a major publisher was was Christian fiction, kind of. It was mm. like apologetics slash fiction, you know. And I, so I didn't real I didn't really follow my <laughs> the whole author advice that you're supposed yeah. to do. You're you're supposed to stay in one one lane. Yeah, but you but you did agree that you have like a way of seeing things. Yes. So what is yeah. that? What is the way? that you see things you mean like what's the specific what's like your grid you know i almost feel like because it's so close to me mm-hmm. i'm not sure i'm able to be the one to give you that answer interesting like i almost i almost feel like someone would need to like i i don't i wouldn't recommend anyone do this but like i i feel like someone would have to take the books i've written and at least 
some of the blogs that are you know, at, at least a good handful of the blogs I've written in the last yeah. 10 years and would have to, I would need someone else to tell me what that is huh. exactly. Because I don't think it's so, um, you, you say I'm applying this grid to the world and I totally agree with that. I just don't <laughs> happen to know what the grid. You don't know what the grid is. I, yeah, I don't, I, because I don't, I don't see the grid. I see the world through it. Interesting. So I don't see the grid. Someone else that doesn't have the same grid, I think would have to come alongside and tell me. Because you're in the, the matrix right now. Yeah, I I, no, I have the contact lenses on. Yeah. Someone else is going to have to tell me what what the what color they what are. color they are. Yeah. Hey everybody, this is Richard Clark and Morgan Lee again. We just wanted to interrupt this interview to tell you about another podcast put on by Christianity Today, hosted by basically our friends. Yeah, our best friends, Matt Woodley and Kevin Miller are the hosts of Monday Morning Preacher. It's great for preachers who want to learn to hone their craft, get better at preaching. It's also good for people who are just interested in how preachers think about preaching. I find it fascinating for that reason. Yeah, for sure. I mean, if you've ever wanted to kind of get into the head of your pastor when they're putting together a sermon, but don't really want to go up to your pastor and say, how do you do do what you do? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Or you want to just like, I want to be a little bit more confident in how I talk about preaching before I tell you how to preach. If you want to talk about the ladder of abstraction with conviction, then that's the podcast you want to listen to. If you want to know what the ladder of abstraction is. Well, that's what I mean. Is that also where you should go? Yes, exactly. They'll talk about it. Um, so yeah it's available on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts Monday Morning Preacher check it out we're probably we're, we're boring the listeners of The Calling I'm afraid why do you say that? because like who I, I have to think the vast majority of people listening are like oh who cares about Trevin's grid <laughs> they're listening to a podcast that's like hey it's Trevin Wax okay well, so okay, they... well, the few that are listening, <laughs> I hope you've enjoyed this conversation. All right. So um, what what would you say, like, um, the time you've been writing, which has been a very long time, what's the biggest struggle? I, I think the, the biggest struggle is constantly, um, it's that bouncing back and forth between uh, pride and humiliation. <laughs> yeah. That... Yeah. Okay. So let's start with the humiliation side. Okay. There are times when you're writing and you just you look at it and you think this is so bad. Mm-hmm. No one's gonna. I mean, this is not. This is not good. This is not up to par with either what other people are doing or what other insights other people have or with even what you've done in the past. Right. Like you, you look at it and you're just like, this is. No one's going to. You know. You you bounce from that, and then other times you you bounce into this. This is this is pretty good. I kind of like this. You know. Yeah. And you're. And you think this is this is solid, and then in both of those, if you're not careful, that sort of mix of pride and humiliation mm-hmm. can really paralyze you as a writer. The pride making you think more of yourself and who's yeah. reading you. The humiliation of taking criticism too personally. Mm-hmm. So if you take praise or criticism too personally, then it's it's paralyzing as a writer because it's bad for your heart. It'll shut you down. How do you not do that? It's tough. You have to learn that. You have how, to learn both of those how, things. How do you... It is, is It is like a muscle, right? Like it's... Um, but, but you have to sometimes do them on the same day. You know what I mean? Like the yeah. muscle... You ha- because sometimes you will get praise and criticism on the same day. Yeah. And so especially... So this is the one thing about writing I think that's a little bit different <clears throat> than previous generations. Mm-hmm. 
I don't want to overstate the differences because I don't think they're that great, but feedback is instant. Yes. Right? Yeah. It's not even the next day letter to the editor kind of thing in a newspaper. It's it's instant. So you can get effusive praise from your, what I call in This Is Our Time, like the amen corner, Mm. and terrible criticism from the, what I call the how, um, how dare you corner. Yeah. And sometimes, and the worst, the hardest to deal with are those in the third camp, the you betrayed me corner, because they thought they were going to amen you, but then they, they found you confronted or challenged something that they think, and then they felt betrayed. And so you can get all three of those sometimes in the same day. And it can be, it can be a really, if, if you, if, if you don't learn how to deal with it emotionally it can be it can be really jarring you the, the you betrayed me is the most challenging right yes because you feel like you let people down yeah you know like the the how dare you you kind of expect it it's right. like okay you're reading me you know like with that when i would write at religion news service and like the first three comments would be from these atheist trolls yeah who like comment on every single post <laughs> yeah. of all these other people too. Yeah. yeah and it's like okay <laughs> like i this is how this is what how you have fun today is you yeah you get on and you mock the religious person right, right. so so the the how dare you people are not necessarily uh challenging it's the you betrayed me when you feel like you might have sacrificed your standing with an audience or with a, a with readers that you have cultivated yeah do you that, ever feel like they might be right of course. Like that's another reason why. Well, it's that's the thing charring. that gets me about. I mean, that's the thing. Like, we, I, you know, I think about this a lot, obviously, because like I edit an online website, and the thing, the categories I have in my head are pretty close to that. It's like right. our core readers, yes, people that should be our core readers, and then like people that just are never gonna like us. They hate us no matter what. Right. And the thing that bugs me the most is when. Well, I guess both of those cat, the, both of those first two categories. There's like when they're like, you know, I really wanted to like this, but you you really messed it up. That's the kind of thing where I I I I, I have a hard time yeah. with that. You know, it's hard because you feel like okay, and part of the reason you have a hard time with it, mm-hmm. I think, is is good mm-hmm. because if you're truly writing to serve, yeah, not just to say something, yep. but to serve people, yeah. Then when the people you serve are express disappointment in you, yeah, that 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 affects that right. it can't help but if you if you have a servant mentality, mm-hmm. I don't think it, it's simply fear of man that leads you right. I I think there I think there's a good element of and I and I think kind of taking it to heart and then asking questions of okay did I get this wrong mm-hmm. like it, maybe 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 I didn't express this correctly having that element of self-critique is important based on feedback Uh, it helps you to to think through future ways that you might address issues where even if you still think you're right yeah maybe you'll think of ways you can bring people along yeah um but yeah that that, that's it's a challenge for 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 writers what would you say is is your deepest fear i think um my deepest fear is that i'm that at some point i'm i would bring shame to king jesus hmm. what's the what's the, I, I would do something say something turn into something yeah to someone who um would would embarrass jesus or his people how do you how do you see that as as being probable and happening like what would that look like there are a whole number of scenarios what's that the I, most that likely I, could say. I i don't know you don't I, have I, like a... okay i i will 
I okay, the most likely. Okay, yeah. I've got a bunch of scenarios that kind of freak me out that could happen because I've seen I've seen people yeah, we've that seen, I yeah. know and love yeah. wind up in places where that they brought they brought shame on 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 the church and right. um instead of honor and left the church stronger. So so I think there are a bunch of scenarios I could tell you. <laughs> you um and those might be the juicier ones, but I think that <laughs> the the easy the the one that I would say is probably most likely mm-hmm. would be um I, you know, I've seen I've seen it happen with with I've been around enough Christian leaders now to know that the Lord uses um, all kinds of people, even people who sometimes do not do not have the fruit of the spirit. And I'm thankful that like the team that I work with most closely at Lifeway, um, there's no one on that team that I'm not in the that I'm in the trenches with that I'm thinking, you know, this this person isn't doesn't act like a Christian or doesn't have the heart of a of a Christian. Yeah. So I'm very blessed to be in an environment where the cl- the people I work with the closest mm-hmm. um exemplify to me what Christian leadership is. Yeah. But I've also been kind of out and around and have gotten close enough now in in other circles to to be able to see um how just w- with leadership, with influence, with people around that no longer can really challenge you, I guess. Mhm of people's worst instincts become begin to become more tolerated yeah and then eventually expected and accepted and um and it and it and it becomes something i i think that's that's tragic so i i think that is the the most likely scenario although mm-hmm. i hope that w- will not happen i hope that even saying that it's most likely right. means i'm somewhat like on guard against that, but yeah. I just, I think that that's a, One that's thing that's always a real possibility. This episode is brought to you in part by Thomas Nelson, publisher of Nine Lives and County, a bounty hunter's journey to faith, hope, and redemption, written by Dwayne Dog the Bounty Hunter Chapman. Nine Lives and Counting not only offers a fresh perspective on well-known life events, but also ventures into behind-the-scenes territory and backstories never shared publicly. Nine Lives and Counting is available everywhere audiobooks are sold. Visit thomasnelson.com audio to learn more. One thing that's interesting is that there's the danger that you'll have no one around to tell you you're wrong. There's another danger, which is that you'll have this is what I, I think I'm on the precipice of sometimes, which is having too many people to tell you that you're wrong. Mm-hmm. So like so then this is I'm talking again about the Internet where um, literally everyone is just mad at you all the time because for, you don't hear from all your supporters. You know, right. All the people yeah. that think you're doing a great job. There's no yeah. mechanism for there's no real mechanism for supporters to say great job. Right. Uh, in a way that's very meaningful, other than subscribing to the magazine, which people should do right. now. Order ctk.com slash the calling. But do it. I've is... even vlogged about this. This is important. <laughs> right. People support magazines. <laughs> yeah. There's no mechanism for someone to um other than subscribing. But other than yeah, other than subscribing. Uh uh but other than that, like uh and that only happens like once in a whole year for each individual. So other or than every that, three years, if you're like me and you get the bulk deal, right? right exactly. <laughs> um, so, I mean, I think it, it becomes really difficult to take that 
seriously. And so you you often have to like then you have to decide you, f- you focus on the you betrayed me type people. Um, but even that becomes a lot. And you just, it, it's easy to lose perspective. And it's easy to go, like, well, just forget it all. And you just kind of become, you, like, you always I've had, play it safe and you never say anything. Well, this is, a, yeah. Like, it's easy, it's easy to. I went through a season in my work where I was playing it safe all the time. And I could feel it happening. And I think people around me could feel it happening. It's because you get shell-shocked. Yes. Pe- people say things in, online that are, I don't, I don't think they would say things that, the same kinds of things in person, mm-hmm. or at least the tone would be such that would be it would be received differently. Yeah, it, for whatever reason, and this is this is true. And anybody who writes a lot online will tell you there is a dehumanizing factor, right, to writing in public. Yeah, for any length of time. Yep, there there simply is. Like people begin to see they 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 don't see the person behind the the words or ideas. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it's easy for us to, at the same time, and I've noticed this myself, there are some people who have really frustrating, in my mind, mm-hmm. frustrating and over-the-top critical Twitter <laughs> conversations mm-hmm. or Facebook that, that when I meet them in person and I get to know them, yeah. I'm like, okay, these are nice decent people who just haven't a clue how they come across online. Yeah, you know totally. what I mean? Like, and yes. they're not even trying to be. It is. It is ornate. something that happens so regularly now for me that I have started to question my own judgment. Ass- judgment. Yeah. Well, no. That what I was about to say is, it can easily happen that the writer mm-hmm. starts to do the same thing to the critic that they say the critic is doing to them. Yep. Which is that you dehumanize the person and you don't actually see the person behind. Yes. The the avatar, like that there's an actual living yes. human being. And there might actually be some kind of pain there or something there that is maybe leading to the consternation and the some of the, the issues that they're so worked up about. It's t- That's 100% right. And there, it's like a spiraling thing that spirals down into this world where everyone just like hates a character of each other. That's right. And one. so today, this is a good example. Today, I got... I saw like a critical tweet and I said, where is this coming from? The thing you want to ask, the thing I want to ask when I see a critical tweet is like, where is this coming? What is this person about? So I pull up their Twitter profile. There's nothing really clear in the Twitter profile. A lot of times you want to see what institutions they're aligned with or like what, what they are, what their bandwagon is, whatever. Nothing there that gives me any clues. So I clicked on their profile picture and it's like, I see their haircut. And that is what I made the judgment based on. I was like looking for anything just to say that, like, what box can I put this what person in? What haircut was it? It was, I'm, I'm not going to go into what haircut <laughs> it was. Like, really? I'm oh, scared no. that it would be like... Um, offensive. Offensive or like give away something. Gonna, I don't know. You know, you would hear from the listeners. It was, like okay. It them. was like one of those, it was like one of those, um, like, it was like one of those real trendy haircuts. It's like a real trendy haircut. <laughs> okay, That's I like, don't know. I don't even know what that is. If you so, saw it, you get it, Trevin. Okay. No, I'm, you, I'm assuming you'd be like, "Oh yeah, yeah that you, guy." You you really um, expect more from me than you should because <laughs> I am not the trendiest person. I probably would not know what you mean. You you will you would know you would get it. If okay, I showed I'm you. just going to take your word on it for it. Um, last I'm, question. I'm not exactly the coolest person. <laughs> Last question: If you uh, if you got into a time machine, if you had the chance to get into a time machine, go back in time, step out of that time machine, and introduce yourself to yourself, what would you say? 
okay, so I'm assuming this has to be in my lifetime. Because you had me for a minute with that question. I was thinking of all the eras of history right. that I could go back and be a part of. But no, no you have to talk to yourself. Time. You know, I don't know. I don't know what I, I don't know. I, I That's a really, I, I, I don't have, I, I don't look backwards a lot to think about a lot of regrets that I have. In, in the way I've lived. So I, I don't live with a lot of regrets. I mean, I'm not saying that I feel like I've done everything right because I don't think that's the case at all. I just mean, I, as far as like major decisions I've made in my life, yeah. one of the one of the most difficult times personally and professionally was the identity crisis I had. I, I, I shouldn't overstate that. I, a, a bit of wrestling after I came back from mission work in Romania. Mm. I'd been there for five years. So outside okay. of my culture for five years, right? Okay. Gotten married during that time, had our first son during that time. So yeah. I did all these life milestones what in a, a different what country. What age were you at that point? When so you went, what age I were was, you? I bought a one-way ticket to Romania when I was 19. Oh my gosh. I moved back. Hold on. When Why I was did you do that? Because I, I, I was going to do my undergrad work at a Christian university there and do mission work in the villages around the, okay. the city that I lived in. Okay. So... So, so, but, but basically, I had five years of full immersion in another culture, learned yeah. another language, preached and taught, had a radio ministry in that language. Did, wow. did, um, I got married in Romania. We had our first son during that five year period when we were living there. So, all these life milestones, mm-hmm. like when you are first starting out really in ministry and mm-hmm. learning to preach and lead and do youth group services and, and all these things, all like all, my f- fundamental foundational years of ministry were not in the United States. Right. So, and in just life in general, you know, getting married, having a kid, you know, right. like all those things happen there. Yeah. So coming back to the States, I mean, I, I'm, I was 24 and was going to go to seminary and it was like starting over because for whatever huh. reason in the, in, in the States, people don't, people see mission work in uh, sometimes, not, not everywhere, but in a lot of places, mission work doesn't really count on your resume. Mm. It's like, oh, you couldn't cut it over here, so mm. you went. You went over. Yeah. Like for whatever reason, that's just how. So you really feel like you're starting completely over. No connections. No. We bought. Karina and I moved to this little apartment. We bought all of our furniture at yard sales. Some we just inherited for free from people trying to get rid of furniture. It was like <laughs> complete. Like left everything we had over there. Came back here. Much harder to move back to the states than it was to move there. Yeah. Where'd you move to? Uh, to Louisville. Okay. Because I started to do my MDiv at. At Southern, we yeah. lived in Village Manor, the little uh-huh. uh, seminary housing. Well, kind of. It was yeah, like yeah, I know. Connected. To the That's seminary. where I lived for okay. a while. Where, where, what, uh, what room were you in? I think it was E two. B. B. Like right on the right when yeah. you first come in. We were in E two, so you had to go around and. Okay. okay anyway, oh, <laughs> it's fascinating. <laughs> okay, so we're so we're there in this. I mean, talk about like a completely different and even like just normal lifestyle things. Like yeah. my wife didn't have a driver's license because we never drove in Romania. We took the tram and train everywhere, you mm-hmm. know, that kind of thing. Um, so just like the American way of life, having yep. to readjust to that. If I were to get in a time machine, back to your original question, yeah, um, one of the lowest seasons that we had, I guess marriage wise as well, but then also. Um, professionally and personally, was we had a ministry opportunity um, that we were hopeful for that didn't happen. Mm-hmm. That looking back, I I I, it w- I would I would probably go back and tell myself, um, you know, this opportunity that you wanted that hasn't happened that you're disappointed about. God knows what He's doing. First of all, yeah. So don't sweat over this. Don't take it personally. Don't let it get you down. And you know this overflow 
of ministry and learning and things that you're getting at seminary and that you want to be writing and don't feel like you're having an outlet, mm-hmm. um, th- that blog you're about to start in the deepest, darkest days of your disappointment mm-hmm. is going to be really important. Hmm. So take it really seriously. That's what uh, I think I would, I think I would kind of lift my own head and say um, that y- you can be joyful in this yeah, because God's plan for for your future is 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 um is solid it's going to be fantastic it's just not going to be what you thought yeah and the writing was a key part of that yes so i started the blog during that season yeah uh it it, but and hadn't but hadn't and had no idea that 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 would be where my writing would begin to gain an audience and it would lead to publishing books and editing and starting curriculum like the gospel project and things like that you've been listening to the calling trevin wax is the bible and reference publisher at lifewood christian resources and the managing editor of the gospel project his blog is kingdom people at the gospel coalition and his twitter it's twitter.com slash trevin wax his latest book is called this is our time remember to rate and review our podcast it's really important. If you have feedback for us, you want to give us some feedback, either put it in your review on iTunes or send it to us at CT Podcast on Twitter. That's our Twitter handle. We're also on We're Facebook also, at facebook.com slash CT Podcast. The Calling is produced by Jonathan Clausen. Theme music by Lee Rosevere, used under Creative Commons 4.0. This episode was brought to you in part by the Areopagus Podcast. Two clergy of different traditions, Father Andrew Stephen Damick and Michael Landsman, discuss encounters of historic Christianity with other religious traditions. How do we engage with those who believe differently? Listen wherever you get your podcasts.